We have, uh, we have the last panel of the day. I'm very fortunate to be hosting it, moderating such a distinguished panel of international institutional investors and advisors. Um, as many of you have heard all day, and as you may have known throughout the last handful of years, foreign direct investment in Greece has been increasing at a very rapid pace. And a lot of that is due to the gentleman to my left. Oh, myself. So directly to my left, I'll quickly go down the list. We have Anastasios, who's the founder of Ambrosia Capital. We have Dimitrios, who's managing group of Axia Group. We have Yorgos, who's uh, director of Bank Capital. We've got Alex, who's head of Greece and partner at CVC. And then I can't see. We have Sammy, who's Griffin and Fortress um, as well. And then we have George, who's at Partners Group. And so I'd, I'd like to briefly begin with the advisory perspective. I'd like to give the floor to Dimitrios. I'd love to hear about what happened in 2021, where capital was deployed, and also where he sees the opportunities in 2022. Thank you, Dean. Um, obviously, you know, 2021 was a very interesting year. After a very long period of uh, no, prolonged crisis in Greece, we saw a lot of different capital um, capital that is much more, you know, long-dated. Uh, capital from private equity, capital from uh, infrastructure funds, capital from family offices, which is quite interesting. As you know, the past decade we were very uh, limited to much more, you know, uh, short-term capital, more event-driven capital, or distressed type of capital. So I think this is a natural evolution and actually speaks a lot about you know, the work that is happening in Greece, uh, the growth aspect that Greece uh, can offer vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the rest of Europe, as well as, as I think, uh, a very attractive uh, entry point vis-a-vis uh, -vis valuations. Mm -hmm. No, thank you so much for that. Anastasios, your firm trades as well as provides research advisory how have you seen the markets? How has the trading been? Um, I know in the past somewhat illiquid, but now as Greece is opening up, what are the things that you've seen in 2021 and where do you see it going in 2022? 2021 was um, a very impressive year. You saw like um, we had a number of uh, quite big capital increases versus mm -hmm. what the market has seen in the past. And they, they all went uh, quite well. And um, the Athens Stock Exchange is once again uh, a conduit of capital. So we think more, more uh, businesses will be enticed to take that route. And uh, we see a very healthy pipeline. Um, as Dimitrios said, there's uh, capital coming from a, a very wide uh, range of investors, not only distressed as we used to see, and uh, that's quite promising. Uh, not, not least the, the return of multinationals to Greece. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a great opportunity for the country as they're going to nurture the talent in the country, which has been uh, unutilized for years. And we'll have the, the, the leaders for the next uh, years to come coming out of these multinationals. OK, great. So 2022 is looking very promising. I'd like to now 
uh, give a question to Alex. Alex, for those of you who don't know, I'm sure many of you do, is also receiving the award this evening. He's been a major driving force in the investments in Greece in the past, and I'm sure 2022 is going to be um, the same. So I know you've deployed quite a bit of capital the last couple of years. What initially attracted you to Greece? And then obviously there's a handful of current events that certainly change things, but where do you see things going now? Are you still attractive? Is it better? Is it worse? And can you elaborate on that? Thanks, Dean. Um, there's a few questions there. I'll, uh, I'll attempt to, um, to deal with them succinctly. Um, so CVC is a, is a global investment firm, but our heritage is Europe, and it represents more than two-thirds of our activity. I've actually been with CVC since 2006, and I've been tracking Greece since then. Uh, for various reasons, um, we did not invest in the country, and um, the stars didn't really align until 2016-17, when we had the opportunity to, to invest in one of our core sectors, healthcare. Um, back then, the, the elephant in the room was the, the debt profile of the country. Um, and the question that we wrestled with for several months is, does, does the country have a sustainable balance sheet? Have we reached now a trough where private equity can come in and invest and help businesses such as Metropolitan um, back then? And I think when the analysis that we did um, and, um, and actually has been reflected again today by, by the Minister of Finance back in 2016, the debt profile of Greece uh, had actually changed quite a bit. Um, it, we were looking at a weighted maturity of around 16 years. And for those going back to, say, 2011, it was actually six years. So gone from six to 16. And the cost of capital had halved. It was around 4% um, in 2011. And it had been reduced to around 2% by 2016. I think it's important because the country was on the verge of sustainability. Um, and, and I think that was the, the trigger where we said, all right, we're almost there. We do not think it's going to get worse. It'll be baby steps. We'll have 1%, 2% growth. Um, obviously, we didn't predict COVID, and, and we didn't um, predict the war. But what was great about the uh, minister's um, speech this morning is when he gave the numbers as of today, you look at the balance sheet, and we have more than 20 years of, uh, of life. Um, the cost of capital has halved again, so from 2% to 1%. And importantly, it's fixed. So in this inflation environment, um, highly beneficial. And in terms of the cash buffer, government has managed to, to keep 40, 40 billion, uh, which is, uh, given all of the crisis or the crises in the last few years it's highly commendable so in response to your question actually I, the fundamentals are better uh, than what we saw in 16 17 i think we've had a lot more volatility um, but because of those fundamentals we you know, we remain active and we've invested uh, more than one and a half billion in the last five years and that's equity we would love to double that in the next five to ten years, as long as the, the right opportunities are there. Um, and I have to say that having moved to, to Athens and, and really got plugged into the environment, I've been really pleasantly surprised also by the local private equity firms. Um, the teams that were up here earlier 
some really good portfolio companies, and I think they were actually quite modest. The exit of Viva Wallet, the exit of Cosmosport, those are fantastic exits, and it's really congratulations to the teams in those investments. And it helps actually for the larger firms such as CVC when you have that healthy ecosystem of local investors. No, thank you so much. One quick follow-up there. Are there any specific industries that you're looking at in 2022 as breakout industries or things where we've heard earlier from the domestic panel about um, food and beverage and real estate and a few other things? Do you, do you echo that or are there a couple other ideas that um, you're all looking at? So, so there's a, I think there's a couple of points. One, we are incredibly active uh, on the portfolio. So we have at this uh, point, maybe seven or eight potential add-ons uh, across healthcare, technology, insurance, mm -hmm. uh, food and beverage. And I think that um, in the current environment, actually, uh, being able to make, make add-ons and be a solution potentially to a problem, but also um, allow you to continue to grow is, uh, is important. We um, are expanding more and more into energy and infrastructure. Uh, and also, we have been quite active recently in sports rights and media. It's, an, it's a growing area within the firm. We've invested in La Liga in Spain, in La Ligue in France. Um, and we'd love to be able to, to look at how we can, uh, how we can bring that expertise uh, to Greece. But I think, sectors aside, actually, uh, we, we're more sort of thematic mm -hmm. in the way we invest. And, and what we saw um, in Greece was three or four really interesting themes. One is consolidation and growth. And it's what we did in, in the healthcare space, where we consolidated several hospitals to form Hellenic Healthcare Group. Um, and that was in the early stage of the investment. We're now in the growth stage where we have invested more than 120 million in CapEx in the last few years, uh, updating all of the equipment across the hospitals, uh, refurbishing the facilities, and, and really um, creating the environment for, for growth. The other th th area is succession planning. And maybe when you, when you hear succession planning, you might think of people in their, let's say, retirement age. Actually, we saw that in Scrooge, where we were working with founders in their 30s who had been active for 15 years, and they were looking for institutional support to come alongside them, help them grow, but also as part of the succession planning. And I think uh, there's many examples of that. And actually, I think what, what the local private equity firms are doing well is, is, is that um, succession planning investing. We also see a theme around uh, various listed businesses uh, which can attract private capital. We invested in the power, uh, public power corporation. As you know, we're now the second largest investor there alongside the state. Uh, and we would like to play an active role in delivering the $9 billion of investment um, that Konstantinos uh, mentioned earlier earlier today. And finally, um, I think the other thematic um, investment area is around companies which are based in Greece um, and have a competitive advantage to be based in Greece, but rely on international markets uh, for, for their revenues. And I think actually that's a great segue to, to probably one of the, the largest investments that was made in Greece in, in 2021 when Partners Group Acquired Pharma 10. George, maybe a good segue to you. Thank you, Alex. 
first of all, thank you very much for uh, the organizers for the invitation today, and congratulations to Alex, who uh, is a great investor, good friend, um, and uh, uh, it's great to have a person with such a high ethical standard try to win the hearts of minds of uh, management teams and and then founders of businesses. Uh, it's it's a very good way to try to get rid of the stigma around private equity ownership, uh, which um, you know friendly investors at the CVC and Partners Group um, uh, we are we are really trying hard to achieve. Um, you know what I would say is that Greece has become um, a, you know a, a country where investors are focusing on recently where they can make good risk-adjusted returns in various asset classes as public equities, bonds, uh, private equity infrastructure, real estate. Um, we've seen um, a few large private equity funds as the CBC and BC Partners making significant investments in the country. Um, with Partners Group, um, which is a global uh, private markets manager, we manage $130 billion. Um, uh, we, we acquired Pharmathen for $1.6 billion um, uh, last year. Uh, the largest uh, uh, private equity-backed acquisition uh, to date, and I think for a, a more conservative investor, I would say, such as Partners Group, uh, which has a more Swiss mentality given it's based there, um, it's a vote of confidence to the improved risk profile of, of the country, the um, uh, competitive advantage of the pharmaceutical, Greek pharmaceutical industry, and more importantly, to the top quality of the Greek executive um, uh, leadership teams, um, we uh, you know we, we think that Pharmathen is a great case study of uh, private equity, the benefits of private equity ownership um, uh, uh, in terms of good of active value creation, of good governance, of um, uh, a very attractive exit route for um, uh, for founders, businesses. In 2015, the uh, uh, the company's founders, the Katsos family, uh, sold an 80% stake to to BC Partners. BC Partners invested more than 300 million euros uh, during their ownership in, in new product development uh, and facilities. So, by no means did we buy a company which was underinvested or was not at the right right. Uh, path of growth, um, and they decided to exit fully in 2021 uh, to to Partners Group, uh, and you know we will, we will aim to take the, the the company through the next phase of growth with a focus to the U.S. market, which is uh, the largest global um, uh, pharmaceutical market. So um, uh, you know, all in all, I think there are some very very good tailwinds. Uh, uh, in this market, obviously, uh, a lot of lot of challenges that we see. But uh, you know, we're we're paid by our investors to invest capital well and wisely in a timely manner. So we will just keep doing that. Yeah, and to to quickly tack on to that, and thank you, Alex. I couldn't have done the transition better myself. Um, <laughs> the um, I, I want you to dig into a little bit of that transaction and where you see the growth. When people hear, you know, billion and a half dollar plus transaction in Greece, it's, it's very large, obviously, in the space. And as the company's becoming more and more developed and companies are coming back from a lot of the issues that have played it in the past, where do you see the growth? What made you comfortable investing that? Um, knowing three, four years ago, obviously, it was 
you know, purchased for quite a bit less, and then there was investment and there was growth, but where do you see it going from here? That's a question to me, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, that's a hard question. In general, in general, I think. I know, gave him the question. Good, good, <laughs> private, good private equity investments um, are made. You know, we're looking first of all at, at you know strong management teams. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, we are sitting at the board and we are trying to challenge, mentor, and try to you know support the management teams. Um, but the management team needs to come to us with, you know, a decision which we're going to challenge to try to look at, you know, a more holistic approach of how uh, we, we can go about it and perhaps recommend alternatives. So that's the first one. We need to buy companies uh, that have uh, good growth potential and Partners Group, uh, similar to CVC there, we are growth, like we're, we buy mm -hmm. growth-oriented um, uh, companies. We don't look for turnaround stories or, um, or anything like that. Uh, and we're looking for good downside protection. Sometimes this downside protection is coming from uh, international revenue base. Uh, Pharmathen um, uh, is, is, is the largest pharmaceutical company in Greece, and they have grown because they have access to more than 85 countries. They generate 99% of the revenues uh, outside of Greece. Um, you know, great scalable business model, um, which uh, and, and they basically produce a generic pharmaceutical of an existing innovator product. This has a proven demand. So even if big crisis came, like people will still need to take their generic pharmaceutical because it's cheaper than the originator. Um, and even if you stopped spending R&D, and we are probably the largest R&D investors in Greece with more than 45 million uh, of R&D investment per year. Um, these are two or three things that you know we, we looked at and we found um, uh, attractive. I'm hoping that you know other Greek commas will follow Pharmathenlid. Hopefully, you know our government will look at such uh, examples of extroverted companies mm -hmm. uh, and perhaps uh, look at you know public-private partnerships mm -hmm. in different sectors where you can have participation of a private equity fund with public funds to create you know new yeah. extra uh, you know export-oriented companies. I think the other encouraging aspect, actually, apart from Partners Group, and then George, you, you know this because you had a lot, obviously had a lot of competition, three U.S. private equity firms were pretty much at that price. Carlisle, Blackstone, Bain, all submitted binding offers pretty much at the price. I think the Partners Group won, and now Partners Group, I think, have been working on it for a couple of years, and in the end, um, you know, we're able to... To, to get it across the line, but that was the most encouraging for me from an, I, I, from an outsider's perspective. So, in particular, seeing U.S. firms, um, since we're here, and uh, seeing U.S. firms actively pursue sizable opportunities in Greece was really encouraging. No, actually, I would highlight this because, you know, most processes we're running today, we see a lot of interest and a lot of real U.S. interest that comes, you know, and competes which obviously brings valuations at a, you know, at a better level compared to what was happening in Greece the past uh, five or seven years. And there is continuous engagement of people to continue you know, to consolidate industries and move things forward as you know, this was quite hard to do for more than 20 years in Greece. 
No, thank you everyone for the great points. I'd like to change gears quickly to NPLs. We've heard a lot today about the great job the banks have been doing. Um, there's a few people on this panel who've made an entire um, industry on NPLs, and so I'm curious to get first Yorgo's thoughts on kind of where the opportunities lie and how the landscape has, has been shifting and his thoughts on, on that in Greece. Thank you to the organizers, first of all, for putting together this uh, very interesting day. Uh, when talking about NPLs, I think uh, the first step is to see uh, where we are today, but also where we were only four years back. So four years back, as a lot of speakers mentioned this morning, we had a hundred billion of NPLs sitting on banks balance it, but at the same time, there was no framework to support NPL investments. There was not even an NPL law that allowed transactions. There was not a single servicer with uh, the know-how to support investors in these countries to manage and work out NPLs. Uh, so, and there was not an ecosystem of advisors and other support services for an investor who has not seen uh, NPLs in Greece before to, to assist them. All of these issues uh, were dealt uh, in all other European jurisdictions immediately after the GFC. And to an extent, this may be a reason that uh, uh, when all the other countries deleverage from the NPL early on, Greece, uh, with uh, having done a tremendous job, obviously, and with the assistance of HAPS, is now has managed to deliver around 10 percent, uh, uh, around to the 10 percent level of NPLs, which 10 uh, percent is on is on the balance of the banks, but all the NPLs have vanished. They are uh, in services, and they've been actively worked out. So where you see the opportunities going forward, first of all, the important thing is that after four years, we have the ecosystem that I was talking about. So we have transacted, and uh, Bank Capital was one of the early investors. The first uh, transaction we did was 2014, when we bought a leasing company, and in effect, an, uh, a non-performing leasing portfolio. Since then, we have gone on to be one of the largest investors in NPLs in the country. Uh, where I would say the opportunity is, apart from the ecosystem, is the fact that the macro fundamentals are still there. Uh, the entry point in the cycle compared to other uh, European jurisdictions is lower. Mm -hmm. uh, you, have, um, you have a growth potential which, even if this is impacted by the current geopolitical crisis, this looks, this looks uh, you know, better than other uh, European jurisdictions, even at 3% GDP growth. Uh, there is still uh, a lot of, uh, or there is projected a secondary market of NPLs, which may be coming throughout of hubs. So what happened through hubs is that uh, there have been uh, large transactions because the banks had to deleverage quickly. Mm -hmm. So these large transactions ended up to a few investors. Mm -hmm. So now uh, these investors will most likely carve out sub portfolios of uniform nature, as Mr. Gregorakopoulos mentioned in the previous panel, uh, and targeting specific investors with specific appetite, for example, carving out unsecured portfolios or carving out portfolios focused on hospitality to mm -hmm. attract more investors. So going forward, combine the macro, the know-how that we've got over seven years in investing in NPLs in Greece, and uh, the pipeline. I think they, they put some opportunities in front of us as well. No, thank you. Sammy, you guys have been incredibly active in the MPL market as well. Um, I know that was certainly quite a long answer there, um, but we would certainly love your thoughts on where you see the opportunities and 
Can you also touch on a little bit of the of the competition and and a little bit of the shifting landscape as you as you move forward now? Competition is sitting over there. I know. <laughs> now, we are much less glorious than you know Alex and George over there because we we deal with much smaller stuff. But the reality is that you know the banks sold their portfolios and you have 100 billion of MPLs that are still MPLs. They just moved from the banks to the funds or the services. And uh, I think that the, the, the opportunity, which for me is obvious, is trying to rehabilitate this, these 100 billion uh, loans, which basically are companies that are distressed. They need financing. They need a way to become operational again. And I think that is the biggest opportunity. And I personally believe that this is the biggest bet for the country, in order for the country to actually propel forward and become, uh, you know, and see growth in GDP, this is not only, you know, Pharmaten and Vivartia. It's you need to actually see smaller SME companies survive and uh, owners, the average owner of uh, 10 people, not a thousand people, uh, enterprise be motivated to actually work uh, without uh, having a, a dead burden on his head. And for us, the, the, the most important part of um, the opportunity there uh, is to actually make this work. And uh, instead of um, you know, just working out by selling assets to the market, helping uh, these companies survive. Um, I think that that is the most obvious opportunity for us. No, that's definitely great. And, and you touch on you touch on a, a few different sectors and a few different sizes. Do you do you think that part of the investing in Greece and part of the we've also heard today the resiliency of the Greek people is the fact that they do want to get up, they do want to work. It's a hardworking culture. Um, it's very tough sometimes when you have huge companies, but as you said, if you're investing in some of the smaller ones, are you generally optimistic in terms of how you see these companies going, or do you think they need a lot of help to get to the next stage? I, I think I'm, I'm generally optimistic. I think that the most important thing for the system to work is for the owner to be motivated to actually make money. And if you owe the bank a million, I'm not talking about a billion, I'm talking about a million, you need to find a way to survive. Mm -hmm. And if you, know, you just owe the bank a million, you're going to work for the rest of your life to pay back that money. That does not work. Mm -hmm. The only thing for this to work is for this million to somehow go away. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the way to, because I, I really believe in, 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 in in personal motivation. And if you don't motivate people to actually do it, they will never do it. And um, the banks are there, but the banks cannot, because of rules, support these companies. Mm -hmm. uh, they are non-performing companies, so they are, by definition, out of the banking system. So we need to do that. Somebody uh, you know, in this panel, maybe George, uh, will, will actually do that. Um, and that's why I'm, I'm very optimistic that, you know, if we manage to do it, then it's going to be the big investors who are doing corporate transactions, but also the economy is going to become solid. 
Sami, you are referring to alternative financing kind of... Uh, I'm, referring, I'm, I'm referring to actually creating, you know, the, 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 um, the universe where these people can actually operate. Uh, and we see it. We see it in uh, in our workout uh, yeah. when we're offering uh, DPOs. The financing is not there. When yeah. people want to buy back their assets in e auctions, the financing is not necessarily there because the priorities are elsewhere and because they are still uh, NPLs or they're still TSEs. Mm -hmm. So once these people survive, indeed, then the economy will move ahead. And one, one more thing that George just said: the fact that you know funds and services, George are actually holding on NPLs and actually auctioning assets, real estate assets. This is a growth driver. And this is a growth driver because assets, real estate assets, are becoming a liquid market. Mm -hmm. And this is good because a new buyer for a, for a building in the center of Athens is going to buy it first, refurbish it, in employing people to actually do it. So a liquid real estate market is very good for the, for the country and for the banking system. And that is going to happen because of the thousands of auctions that are coming into the market. No, thank you so much, Sammy. If I can add a point, I think, you know, Sammy is making a huge point, but the important thing is I believe that we have an ecosystem. You know, right? We didn't have an ecosystem. Suddenly, we do have an ecosystem. We have the servicers. We have uh, the, the local private equity. We have the, the global private equity. We have strategics that they look at Greece. So suddenly, we have all the pieces. And most importantly, you know, there's a lot of changes in how easy people can transact in Greece. I mean, it was impossible to transact in Greece. You know, we've been around for 14 years. We've worked uh, to over 40 billion worth of transactions as advisors. It has been tremendously difficult to make transactions. I mean, we've worked in a few together, uh, Sami. Um, but at the end of the day, I think huge progress is in place. We have an ecosystem. We have interesting players. We have real players that set the market, that they set a price, and things are moving on. The most important thing is for things to keep moving on. So, you know, George, you know, needs to move on those NPLs. Somebody else needs to buy them. Somebody else needs to invest. Finally, the banks can give money. I mean, the banks could not give money up until very recently. No. <laughs> so, you know, right now, I think everything is in place. And also, you know, the the sovereign is doing a fantastic job. Uh, there's a lot of liquidity coming to Greece in terms of, you know, the, the balances of the country as well as uh, funds that we wouldn't be receiving from the European Union, which are uh, much bigger than the size of our economy and what this liquidity can produce. So I, I, I think it's a very interesting time, irrespective of the, you know, the challenges of the energy, the challenges of the war. Uh, there are man, much more net positives, I think, than uh, negatives uh, right now. Thank you. Um, touching on some of those current events, I've heard it mentioned in a few of the other panels, but I think it's very important to get the international investor perspective as you're looking at investments all over the world. We'll start here and we'll work our way down. How has the recent current events, how have you seen that kind of change the mindset? Is it? slowing things down? Is it any slower than other countries, per se, that are, that are affected? Or, you know, is everything kind of predictable and we're waiting for the dust to settle for the growth to really um, boom again? Um, certainly things are not predictable. Mm -hmm. But uh, Greece is fairly insulated because it has limited exposure to Russia. Mm -hmm. 
and um, also suddenly other markets are not available to investors they, and they still have to deploy capital so Greece is a is a fairly safe place so net net net, net like it hasn't been that bad for Greece so far and we think we we can still be seen as a as a as a rather insulated market versus the rest of Europe versus like of course some EM markets that are no go anymore. Mm -hmm. So so far so good I would say. No, great, Dimitri. Uh, I always like to see the positive out of every situation, and I think uh, in Greece now we can have a few interesting things. Uh, number one, you know, there's a lot of capital that will be exiting Russia forcefully. This capital needs to find a home. Greece could be a great uh, alternative because, you know, we're in the same neighborhood, we're protected by the euro, and there is a outsized growth in terms of, of the country. So that's, you know, that could be uh, one opportunity. I think the second opportunity is Greece has the ability to become uh, energy sufficient on its own if it invests more on, you know, on alternative energy, on, uh, on gas. I mean, most of the Greeks, you know, control the LNGs. There is a few FRSU projects that are taking place. So shifting uh, money and resources towards you know, energy sufficiency in the country, which is a very large sector with a lot of liquidity, can really mm -hmm. be an opportunity, again, based on what is happening. And by the way, we can serve also the rest of Europe as either, either as a path or as a generating uh, force. No, great. Jorgo? Uh, to my end, uh, I, I, I see the opportunities on the flip side, I see most what the impact of this crisis would be, and while the direct impact may be kind of muted because the uh, Russia and Ukraine is not a big part of uh, Greece's GDP. The indirect impact is what uh, we need to think about, which is mainly the inflation, mm -hmm. the energy crunch, the increase in costs, uh, the increase in, um, in cost of new investments, the likely uh, decrease of uh, consumer spend, mm -hmm. and this potentially will lead uh, to new arrears, new NPLs, uh, hopefully contained, but uh, this, is, this would be an impact. So while the macro fundamentals, mid to long term, are there, as we said before, because mm -hmm. of the, you know, the history of Greece over the last 10 years, I think we need to be in a position, all of us, to assess more thoroughly, uh, let's say more pragmatically, what is the short term impact, what is sustainable, what is not sustainable. And uh, uh, I think we, we have been always constructive, we have seen it's Greece in the end of the day. We have seen capital controls 2015. Mm -hmm. We have seen COVID. Um, we now see this crisis. At least in bank capital, we have been constructive. We have invested through all of this period. We are here to do the same, but obviously uh, we will be investing in, in projects that, is, that are profitable and, mm -hmm. uh, and, of course, make sense for all of us. Yeah. Alex? Uh, look, I share George's views. Um, we do have to be realistic, and I expect uh, 2022 and maybe even 2023 to be challenging. We, yeah, we maybe to use a, a baseball um, analogy, we may be in the second or third innings in terms of the knock-on impacts because it's energy, then it's raw materials. And we haven't talked about wage inflation. Um, we're seeing it here in the U.S. hasn't come yet to Europe. We actually need it. Uh, we need to find a way to get more income to our employees because um, 
the cost of living is, is going up. Um, and all of that, I think there is a danger that uh, we're going to be in a cycle that these, these knock-on impacts are actually exacerbating uh, the situation, and, uh, and we're preparing for, for, for that environment. Um, and in particular, uh, George mentioned the consumer. You know, we've seen a change in the last couple of months in, in, con in the consumer's behaviour, and rightly so, because they're facing uh, much higher energy bills. They're, they're facing all of this um, uh, uh, inflation when they're going to the supermarket. Uh, in, in, all, in all respects, and. There is a lot of liquidity in Greece. There's a lot of liquidity globally, as we saw from um, all of the, uh, the monetary But the, the question is, how do we get that liquidity into the hands of the people who need it the most? Uh, and that's, that's actually one of our key focus areas in Greece. We need to do that. And so to allow the consumer, to support the consumer to come back and spend to keep driving the economy. So I think it's going to take a few months. Um, and. Uh, and there'll be there'll be opportunities that, that, that come out of it, uh, but but uh, um, we also have to be patient. Uh, and most importantly, I think what we would all want is the, the war in the Ukraine to end, uh, and then maybe have some sort of normality. Um, I'm also cautious. I think that the geopolitical, the inflation, the after effect of COVID is going to create um, a new wave of uh, non-performers. Um, but the good, I think that the good news is that we, are, we seem to be more prepared now, because we've, we've actually done mm -hmm. 100 billion. So it's not as it was you know, in 2015, 2014, where people you know, didn't know there was no framework. Right now, the system is more ready uh, to be able to face a cycle. Mm -hmm. um, we obviously need to be careful, but um, I think that the fact that we are ready makes me more optimistic. Um, in, in private equity, you, uh, uh, you need to learn the, uh, in order to be successful, you need to learn the basics of becoming a good football coach. You need to be able to uh, switch between defense and offense um, uh, when, when it's needed. Uh, during COVID, we had to switch uh, to defense mode, focusing largely on our uh, existing portfolio companies. Um, then, uh, given the capital that was um, that was sitting, um, uh, you know, with with funds, we saw 2021 being the all-time high of mm -hmm. LBOs uh, globally. Now we're seeing more challenging times. So I think everyone needs to, um, to turn to uh, defense mode. Again, um, you know, first order effect was, the, uh, was COVID, the liquidity that was in the market. Now we're seeing the second order effect, which is inflation, er increasing energy costs, and there will be third order effects, which will be coming um, in, in the next few months. Um, we just need to be, uh, to be ready. But as I said, we need to be brave to uh, invest capital where, where there is good downside protection. But generally, very optimistic on Greece long term. Personally, I'm, I'm very optimistic. I'm, I think Alex is, uh, is of the same mindset as well, and the rest of the panel. George is so optimistic, he recently moved to Athens. <laughs> exactly. It's great. So he has to be. He's just around the corner. Um, I, I said the long, long term, the fundamentals 
um, are there and, uh, um, and the good news is we have long-term funds. Yeah. So we can, and first of all, it's important because we can support our portfolio companies when they need it the most. Um, and then we can continue making investments uh, when, when the time is right. Oh, great. I'd like to now open it up to the audience for questions. I'd like to ask you, I'm, uh, I'm from the Wall Street Journal, I'd like to ask you uh, that given the, uh, just two questions, uh, given the uh, high energy costs, the raging uh, inflation, and that 70% of the Greek economy depends on private consumption, the Greeks are not going to spend, uh, do you think that the uh, government projection of a growth, uh, even though it's less than it was, wasn't projected, uh, around 3%, I think, around 2 point something percent, is still feasible, or do you see a period of stagnation or even a recession in Greece? That's the first question. And if you don't mind, Sammy, you said some, something which I think was very, very interesting. You said that this, so many billion are still there in NPLs, they're just <laughs> on different bodies. So, can you elaborate a little bit beyond the mechanisms that uh, Dimitris uh, brought up. Uh, can you elaborate just a little bit on how this one million from a mom and pop shop in NPL disappears? So this guy and his family have the, 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 the courage to work and look forward. How, what do you mean? How is this NPL going to disappear? Do you want me to answer this one? Go ahead. Yeah. Okay, so. Sorry for the long question. Don't worry. So, yeah, so I own a shop. And I borrowed a million in 2008. And um, the market has lost 25% of GDP. Um, and my revenue has gone down 70%. So it's obvious that you know, when the GDP has, of the whole country has fallen 25%, um, I'm almost bankrupt. But my business is still operating. And I'm uh, still selling my goods, and I have customers. But in reality, my cost of uh, debt, and my debt itself, is there's no way for me to service it. So we've been, we've been through a period of almost 10 years where I've been trying to find a way uh, to service this million. And my business was still alive but I was trying to make a living, so I, was, I, I needed something to feed my kids and send them to school, right? So that model does not work. I'm not going to do a perfect job because this, this company, this shop that I have, is not mine. It actually belongs to the bank, and I work for the bank, and whatever cash flow is left from the bank goes to my kids. So this is a, a model that does not work. And we've been through a period of time where this was the model. Now, the banks had enough time, and with the assistance of the state, got provisions, and they sold this huge bulk of, of NPLs to us. And they moved them to George, ad interim. And so now, 
our base is not a million anymore, is significantly less. It could be 200,000, it would be 300,000. And we would like the guy, they would like me because I'm, I'm playing both roles now. <laughs> so to be able to service it and be motivated so I can double my revenue. So 200,000 of debt for my shop is now viable, even 300,000 of debt. And the shop is mine. It does not belong to the bank. So I think the fact that you move portfolios from banks to private equity firms and servicers at a new base creates the ability to put the, the guy who knows how to do the job, because we don't. We have zero clue as to how to, to operate a company. We don't know anything. We just know how to operate an Excel spreadsheet. That's the reality, right? So these guys know how to do it. So if we don't let them do it, we will fail. So that, that, that's my thesis. And that's how it disappears. If I can add to, to, to the answer, I think sometimes we don't give enough credit. Imagine in Greece, if in the US you had a reduction of GDP by 25%, the whole country you know, would be bankrupt based on the leverage and based on how things work. So I, I think the point here is companies and the whole system, including the banks, have learned how to survive under very severe situations. And I also believe, you know, somebody paid. That million did not go, you know, down no, the, to zero. The taxpayers paid for it. The taxpayers paid. Yeah, the taxpayers paid. You know, the, the reduction in, in growth, everybody paid, everybody paid. And that's why it's very important to be able to restart. If one thing uh, makes a huge difference in the US compared to Europe is the bankruptcy laws and everything else, right? right? It's very easy to get burned and restart. And this is something that we're learning now in Greece. And actually, I think with the help of everybody, we're doing quite well. Uh, and, you know, Obviously, on the previous point, of course, you know, energy costs, inflation are a major issue for all economies, and Greece will not be an exception. I just think, you know, we have learned how to survive in tough times, and potentially we can deal even with this a little bit better now that we have a growth environment. I mean, it could not be as big of the growth as we expected, but still we're growing. Or you think there's a, a threat of recession or a stagnation in the second half? I'm sorry. Does, I'm monopolizing the panel here, but does everybody agree that at the end of 2022, Greece will grow and it's not going to be in recession or stagnation at least? I mean, I have to say for such projections, I trust our. Uh, our uh, finance minister and our central bank governor that they are uh, doing the projections right. I think, you know, w when it comes to foreign direct investment, I think this is a key driver for, um, uh, you know, for uh, above uh, average growth. And I think there's a positive environment. So, you know, we're, we're happy to, to comment that. But I, th I think it's going to be 3% plus or minus 1.5%. Um, and and I, I'm not sure that that's the, um, the main question, because when you think about growth, think about all the inflation that we have already in the system, that will drive growth. I'm seeing the top line of iPortfolio companies outperform, but that's because they're putting through 
price increases um, because they are having they're suffering input cost increases. Uh, you think about the tourist sector. We we have good data right now for 2022. We expect volumes and values uh, around 80% of 2019, maybe higher. In 2021, it was 60%. So that extra 20%. Um, should uh, should help, and also to your question around consumption, and this data was 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 sort of was shared earlier. You, you look at the four systemic Greek banks; they're holding almost 200 billion of deposits. And I remember two years ago when when I moved to Athens, it was close to 150. So th that will flow through into the economy. Whether we have three or four percent, I'm not sure that. You know, it's not, it's not, really, not going to drive our investment decisions, because I think the more interesting question is what happens in 2023, because I think then you're, thinking, then you're in that territory of stagflation and recession, and maybe by 2023 there'll be a recession in the U.S. Um, we know when, uh, when the U.S. sneezes, Europe catches a cold. Yeah, I, I agree as well. And uh, you still see, as uh, Alex mentioned, hospitality, you see Greek real estate still uh, growing. That's uh, also uh, because of the entry point that we were talking below, that is still more attractive than in other jurisdictions within Europe. We've been saying that still prime offices in Athens are like 400 basis points apart from GGBs. Like this is, there's nowhere else in a European country this, this, this spread uh, gap. So you still expect some growth from there. And then one question is because the government officials mentioned as well, what is the pan-European response on inflation? Is, is there going to be one, or is it Greece going to have to tap on its budget to support local businesses as well? And this will, you know, on a relative basis compared to Europe, it will play a major role. Also, you know, let's not forget the foreign direct investment uh, numbers, right? I mean, which are massive compared to what it was 10 years ago. And that also translates to a much lower unemployment. I mean, unemployment in Greece has been dropping faster than any other European Union country. And obviously, no, this money goes into the system, uh, again, uh, I think on a much better way than uh, ever before. Thank you. We'll have time for one more question. Um, the question is mostly to Alex and George. I, I happen to think that the real problem is uh, inflation in all of this. Effectively, one, one euro today is worth far less a year from now. That the real purchasing power of what we have in our, in our pocket and what you guys are measuring your returns by and what you pretend your investors, the real purchasing power is, is declining. So the question is, what does it do? It's, it's a more general question. What do you do to investments in private equity, which are long-term investments, you know, what does it do to the management of your portfolio companies? How, how, do you, how do you manage an inflationary environment as a long-term investor? It's a more fundamental question. From my point of view, inflation is good. <laughs> Simply because most of the portfolios are asset-backed, real estate asset-backed. And theoretically, assets, real estate assets grow prices grow as inflation comes in. So the portfolios that you know, were priced with a specific asset price as an underlying collateral are now worth more. And, and the guy who owned the shop before 
and had a collateral value of 200,000 after an inflation could have a 300,000 collateral, and that would be better recovery for us and more ability for him to leverage. Also, inflation is very good for the debt profile of the country, which will be eventually reflected in the yields that underpin every asset class. The differential between the yields in Greece and other European countries should converge after this inflation uh, being so high, because we're going to grow out of our debt easier than we would otherwise do. We owe money, right? We owe money. So the money we owe in real terms is worth less. Now, I, from a private equity perspective, especially, you know, especially with a fixed profile. For the Greek debt. A fixed profile of the Greek debt. So net net, it's a. I agree with us. It's a huge benefit for the debt profile of the country. I mean, it's interesting actually on that. I think actually in the U.S., most of it is floating. So. I'm um, looking at the, the comparison. I think from a private equity perspective, and I, there isn't an easy answer, Apostle. We're, gonna, we're doing a lot of sensitivity analysis, country by country, sector by sector, company by company. We've actually started sending out questionnaires to our portfolio companies, and that's 120 companies globally, since last September, around the inflation questions and how does it impact um, your input costs, is it energy, is it raw materials? And we're just we're constantly talking and taking that data and working on that data and running scenarios um, and sensitivities. And um, ha that's how we're informing ourselves. Because uh, I think, you know, as with every crisis, you know, it's going to be different. Uh, this is not going to be the 70s. Um, but I think just you know, having that granular approach in as much detail as possible uh, is, is how, we're, how we're approaching it. Lastly, George. Yeah, uh, we are we are doing a, exactly the same. Um, you know, every situation is is unique. For example, uh, on Farmouth, and we really, you know, the management team really looked at every single uh, part of their business. Where will inflation come? Energy costs, for example, and then we take a long-term um, uh, view uh, as to how we could protect the company. For example. Uh, we decided to install photovoltaics in our largest um, manufacturing site in, in close to Alexandrupoli. Um, uh, then, then we looked at the raw material price increase for our active pharmaceutical ingredients, which is coming mainly from China and uh, India, um, how we could uh, perhaps negotiate procurement savings. Um, and then we looked at all, all our client contracts and see whether we had any opportunity to increase prices which the company hadn't done any um, in the past. So you really have to be very granular and you know, trust that your management teams will do, will do the right thing for their companies and their investments because management, that, that's the key uh, you know, principle of private equity that we, um, we incentivize our, um, our management teams strongly to um, for our comms perform. Great, thank you. Uh, we'd like to thank all of you for staying. I know it's been a long day, and a very big thank you to this very distinguished panel, and another congratulations to Alex. Thank you to everybody. It's been a terrific day. So I can conclude the forum. We have the dinner to attend. It's been an amazing day. Thank you to everybody.
and uh, I'm all to see this per, uh, attendance at the end of the day. So thank you to everybody. Uh, it's been a terrific day. Thank you.